everybody. This is Chris. And Kathy. We wanted to take a minute to thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate every listener and are grateful for this platform. Please help us share our vision by subscribing to our show through your favorite streaming app. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Petability Podcast. Check out our ever-growing list of affiliates and sponsors. Simply go to the show notes for information and links. And be sure to use our promo code PETPOD22, that's P-E-T-P-O-D-2-2, on checkout to receive your discount from our affiliates. And now, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Alon Landa, CEO of MedcoVet, and I'm a proud sponsor of PetAbility. We decided to partner with Chris and Kathy because, like them, we want to empower all pet owners who are trying to do the most for their pets. At MedcoVet, we specialize in advanced home laser therapy for pets. Laser therapy is a safe and effective treatment for common conditions like arthritis and wounds, and it relieves pain for most conditions caused by inflammation. With MedcoVet, pet owners can perform this treatment at home while receiving support from experienced clinicians. If you think your pet would benefit from healing at home, visit MedcoVet.com, and one of our clinical experts will work with you to determine if home laser therapy is the right fit for you and your pet. Tell them PetAbility sent you. Welcome to PetAbility. I'm your host, Kathy Simons. And I'm your host, Chris Cranston. Our podcast provides interviews and information to help your pets live their best lives. Hi, Kathy. How are you doing today? Hey, Chris. I'm doing well today. What's going on? Well, we have the wonderful, esteemed Dr. Erica Barron with us as a guest. I'm very excited about this. Yes, yes. So welcome, Dr. Erica. Welcome, Hi. Dr. Erica. Hi, Chris. Hi, Kathy. Thanks so much for having me here. I'm so excited to be here and chat with you today. Well, we're, we're delighted as well. And let's tell our listeners a little bit about your journey in veterinary medicine. I know that you grew up in the Cleveland, Ohio area, area and went to the Ohio State University for both undergrad and veterinary school. And now you live in Northern Virginia. Can you tell us a little bit about your path from there to here? So yes, I'm originally from Cleveland. I went to the Ohio State University for undergrad and vet school. So go Bucks! I know, Chris, you're a Hawkeye, so go Big Ten. That's right. And when I graduated vet school, we were in a little bit of a recession. So a really great place to move was Northern Virginia. So we moved out here and I've been practicing here since 2009. It's been mm -hmm. a really fun journey. There's a lot of really, really dynamic practices here. And there's a lot of um, very, very wonderful people to work with. Um, I'm active in the DC Academy of Veterinary Medicine group, and we're one of the largest academies in the world. We have over 700 members now, and I've been active in it. So it's been a really awesome way to meet people in the community. So anytime you move somewhere new, or if you just don't know a lot of other people in your area, Joining the local academies for veterinarians, or if you're a technician and they have a local academy like we do here, is a really great way to build connections with other veterinarians and clinics and really support each other and yourself. Um, it's and not, one of, oh, go I ahead. Say, not only were you active, but you served as president of this said academy. So that's yes, I did. 
I did. And it was really fun because my president um, dinner was also our 60th anniversary of the group. So we had a very fancy dinner and we even had some of our original members from the group who were in their 90s get uh, come to it and they none of them live in the area so someone came in from Canada and it was it was really just such a great group to be a part of and and you know that's one of the problems with COVID we can't all get together every month and see our friends so hopefully Uh we'll be able to do that in a year or so um but yeah it's been great and then after being here for a couple years I just wanted to learn more about acupuncture. So I went to the Chi Institute, which is now the Chi University, Mm. and I became certified in acupuncture. I started working at NovaCat Clinic, which is, I call it my NovaCat family because we're a very tight knit group. It's a extremely dynamic feline only clinic in Northern Virginia. Cool. And I am so lucky to be a part of this really exceptional team of doctors and staff and, and technicians. And, and I really do think we're, we, it, it's just, it's fun to come to work every day. Cause you always learn something new about cats. And then after a couple of years of doing that, I wasn't doing as much acupuncture. So um, I started doing a mobile clinic two days a week, which is called AccuVet. And I serve Northern Virginia and DC, and it's just acupuncture and laser. That's all it does. And it's been really, really fun. Um, I've been able to help so many pets just have better days, which I know is something that you both pride yourself on as well. Yes. Both of us are very passionate about that, right, Kathy? We we want every pet to live their best life and not um, I think that um, combination of, of of the kind of compassionate care that we're talking about and acupuncture and laser and rehab, it all applies to to affecting that pet's quality of life. Absolutely. So, Dr. Erica, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the laser in addition to acupuncture. Um, we have had previous podcast episodes discussing the benefits of both acupuncture and laser, two separate podcasts. Uh, if you haven't heard those listeners, please tune in. One is with uh, Carol Hetherington. It's called Right to the Point, and it was published in June of 20. And then the other one um, is uh, with uh, MedcoVet and Luma uh, Laser Therapy um, that we also published earlier in, in this year. So um, we, the reason we, we were so excited to have you here tonight was we wanted to delve a little bit deeper into uh, what you do specifically in your practice for pets that uh, have cancer. Yeah. So what I'd like to hear is, is pretty much have you describe what it is that you do with these, with pets that have cancer. And if they're, if these um, treatments are um, an adjunct to traditional uh, medicine, or are we, are some people choosing to go this Eastern way or Eastern thoughts exclusively? And, and can you just describe how, how you, um, how you integrate that in with some of your cancer patients? That's a great question. So let's talk about what we do at our first visit together when I'm with a new client and a new patient. The first thing I do is I dive into everything that they've done so far. And I get extremely specific and detailed. And I want to know what is that pet eating? What does that pet's normal day look like? And if this is one of my house call clients, 
I'm lucky because I'm immersed in it and I can see what's going on in the house. I can see if, you know, they have to go up two flights of stairs in order to use a litter box or if it's a dog and they have to go down different height steps in order to get outside and what type of floors they're walking on. Um, you know, I'm, I'm able to see all of the supplements and medications they're getting. And I'm also going through what the owner's expectations are, you know, is chemotherapy an option? If chemotherapy is an option, is that what they're willing to do? And which oncologist are they working with? And then we have to decide, okay, for this pet, are we going to use acupuncture to help attenuate the chemo and help lessen the side effects, which it can do. Are we going to try a couple herbs here and there to see if we can do the same? Um, you know, if this is an oral mass, we kind a lot of pets with oral mass, you need to stay away from their mouths because they don't want you to touch their mouths. Um, so is this something we more focus with acupuncture or can we use laser on other aspects of the body, not near the cancer, but to help move blood and to reduce pain from other things. You know, just because these pets have cancer, they usually have something else going on because a lot of these pets are older. So if we're just, you know, if we're just concentrating on the cancer and we're not concentrating on their hip dysplasia or their arthritis or, you know, some type of low back issue, then they're not going to succeed because they're going to have wind up pain in other places. So we have to decide, okay, are we going to just do strictly Western medicine? And then is acupuncture going to be kind of like the bonus that helps mitigate some of the side effects of chemo? Or are we going to focus and not do chemo and not do radiation, not do the Western modalities, and instead focus on trying to get the chi moving and break the phlegm up? Because in traditional Chinese medicine, remember, think of chi or your life force or your circulation going through these highways in your body called the meridian. And when there's too much or too little, it causes disease. And cancer means that they are chi deficient somewhere and it's building up somewhere else. So we need it to break down and move appropriately so they can help attack it appropriately. There are some cancers that I've been able to cure in concert with um, Western medicine. There are some cancers that are inoperable and the chemo wasn't touching it and we gave them herbs and acupuncture and they did great. One of my favorite patients and I heard some of your interviews before and I, I heard you all have a lot of favorite patients too, which are basically all of our patients. <laughs> we do, right? we do. It's pretty much everybody. It's pretty much everyone. Yeah. One of my favorite patients, um, his, I feel like you'll, you'll appreciate her. Her name is Molly. Um, her, it was Molly. Um, and she was this, black lab that was born with, um, I don't remember which type of heart defect she was born with, but she was, I think she had a PD, I think she had a PDA PDA. and they, this is way before I knew her and she, they fixed it. And basically when she was adopted after they fixed it, they said, don't worry, her heart's fixed. So she'll never stop running. And she was, I think Molly lived to be 13 or 14. And she was one of those labs that never realized she was over one years old and she never stopped bouncing. And she unfortunately got cancer in her nose. Um, and it was inoperable and we gave her herbs. She had some chemo here and there, and she was such a 
ball of energy. She tore her ACL on the same day as one of her chemos. Uh. Um, so she had herbs and she wouldn't sit still long enough for me to ever laser her or needle her. Um, cause she never stopped bouncing. Um, and she did really well for about nine months, um, just on herbs after she stopped chemo. Um, and she never stopped bouncing until that last day. Okay. And, you know, for some pets like that, who, you know, there's still other parts of them when she tore her ACL and she, you know, these, these owners are phenomenal. They would have done anything. Um, and she couldn't be operated on because, it, you know, she already had metastatic cancer and what happens yeah. if she couldn't recover from the anesthesia, you know, it was, it was too many things, but she did really well. Um, she was, oh man, just thinking of her <laughs> makes me laugh because she yeah. never stopped bouncing. <laughs> I love so, that your approach too, is that you're looking at every patient, um, their body as a whole, right? So you go to their house um, and when you go there, you get to see how that animal lives. If I'm in the clinic, I don't get to see the kind of flooring that you're on. I don't get to see what bowls you're eating out of. I don't see how many floors you have to climb to get into the house. And um, and, and you're right. The other thing is these patients are, um, I like to say, or I like to tell people, your dog is is living with cancer. I'd like to say living with cancer rather than than, you know, dying from cancer. These dogs are still living and they need to be treated as such. So we need to address their compensatory related issues. So if you have a dog that had an, you know, an osteosarcoma and an amputation, we still need to work on that dog's back and their hips and their muscles and their tissues uh, to keep them going. And they may have other things that they need that as well besides that. So I, I love that you approach this as looking at the, the whole animal. Thanks. Yeah. I think, I think that's important with all types of medicine. Right. Yeah. So Dr. Erica, are there any types of, of cancer that you would not treat with acupuncture? Great question. No, there aren't because it's, it's not just treating the cancer, it's treating the patient. So to me, um, you know, there's some contraindications with acupuncturing pets uh, with cancer in terms of where you put the needle. So you don't want to put the needles near the um, mass. There are some studies now that show that that might not be true, but I'm, I might be a little old school and I was taught never to put a needle by a tumor. So I don't put a needle by the tumor. Um, there are some very, very, you know, there are points also, which is worth mentioning that help pets say goodbye so if there's a pet that's been fighting cancer or fighting anything for that matter and not doing well, and they just kind of need to let go, there are some points that can help pets let go mm-hmm. um, and, and just kind of have a more peaceful end. Um, so that's, that's an option too. The, but no, there is no pet I wouldn't just um, acupuncture. There, there's no cancer diagnosis that I can think of that I wouldn't try to acupuncture for something. Mm-hmm. And, and Kathy and I have, have discussed this as well. Uh, similar with rehab, you know, there it seems like there's always something that you can do to make their lives better, you know, something that can be addressed. So, you know, you with acupuncture, us with, you know, rehab. Um, what types of cancer would you say that, that you commonly see? You know, what are you treating uh, mostly in these, these guys? So some of my pets 
And some of, um, some of my patients never have a true diagnosis. They mm-hmm. choose not to, um, pursue further biopsy, whether it's a cat with some type of GI disease. And, and we don't know if it's small cell lymphoma or large cell lymphoma, um, or if it's a, a dog that, um, you know, just is not doing well. And, and you, you're, you're looking at the dog and you're like, I know you have cancer. I just don't know where I haven't found it yet. <laughs> um, and some of them choose not to get a true diagnosis. So you just kind of treat the, um, traditional Chinese, uh, diagnoses of either like a chi deficiency or a blood deficiency or, or waste syndromes and things like that, which are all different ways of us saying like, you know, we need to build up your chi and your different organs to try to help them be stronger, or we have to help move your blood more appropriately to get it to where it needs to go. Um, and to help give you more energy and, um, fight things off yourself. Um, I would say the majority of the dogs I've treated with cancer have had osteosarcomas. Um, Mm -hmm. and a lot of them have done really well in concert with, uh, chemo. Um, I've also had a few dogs have mast cell tumors that have done quite well. Um, and I've had, um, I feel like the most common cancer in cats is, uh, GI lymphoma. And I have a few of those. I treated my own cat with a fibrosarc, um, because that's basically all we could do. Cause I'm the only person, there were three people in the world who could touch them. Only one of them was a veterinarian. <laughs> so Cosmo had acupuncture and herbs and he did really well for a while. Um, so that's something that we can try with certain cats as well. If, if, you know, surgery and, and other modalities aren't options. Do you think, I mean, when I, when I started as a technician, it was probably, oh gosh, I'm going to date myself, 80, 85 or 86. And I think we've just come so far with treatment and the, com- the, the combination of um, you know, acupuncture and combination with chemotherapy and, and some of these other, uh, maybe even palliative care uh you know, things that, that I just feel like there are dogs that are living longer um, with cancer or living with that cancer, uh, particularly in my observation, osteosarcomas, you know, in, 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 you know, 1986, we'd see dogs that have osteosarcomas and they would have amputations and we would hope, we would hope that they would get three to six months, you know, after that amputation. But I'm, I'm seeing a lot of dogs living a lot longer now with, with the combination of their treatments, um, including acupuncture. Do you have any, do you have any thoughts about that? Is that happening on your end too? Do you feel like you're seeing patients maybe surviving a little bit longer or maybe not even just that they've lived longer, but they've lived longer with the cancer. Well, you know what I mean? Living yes, well that's a cancer. great question. I, I agree. I think a lot of them are living longer well with cancer. So there's a dog I'm thinking of right now. I can see her sweet gray face, um, (laughs) with her bright brown eyes. Her name is Macy and she was diagnosed with an osteosarc, um, in her front limb. I think it was March or April. So I just remember it because I've never really seen her owners without wearing masks. So I'm always like, Oh, I wonder what we all look like, but that's another story. (laughs) So, um, Macy, unfortunately I started seeing her not just for the osteosarc, but she started, um, having weakness in her back legs. Um, and 
she was having a really hard time standing. And I think the more I think about it, because I've been seeing her for a few months now since it's December, um, I, I really think that she had some type of either a slip disc or some type of degenerative issue in her low back that was causing an issue in her leg. Um, and so she's had acupuncture and laser and herbs, and she was also being um, treated uh, by Dr. Kendra Pope, who's um, a veterinary oncologist who also does integrative, she does integrative oncology, um, which is really fascinating. And I don't think she, and she, So Macy was also getting some supplements and she switched the diet to, um, uh, like, uh, more whole foods approach. And she also was on mushrooms and and there were, there were, there's a lot more also's going on here, but Macy, um, except for a couple bumps in the road, I feel like she did really well. And she was diagnosed in March or April. And I, I think she's, been doing pretty well most of this time. Um, there's a couple dogs I can think of who I remember thinking multiple times, oh, wow, it's been a year. How are you doing this well? You know, um, and it's like the best feeling. And, yeah, and there was this really one is. dog, Buddy, um, who was actually Molly's brother, um, who had a splenic mass. Um, and, and we never got a true diagnosis because they didn't take it out because there were too many things going on. And, you know, our first goal was for him to make it to like through the winter because he loved the spring. And then the next goal was for him to make it, um, to the beginning of the summer. And then the next goal was for him to make it to his 15th birthday. And then, and there kept being goals and he kept hitting them. And like, if you would have told me there was a dog with a hemangiosarcoma that lived for like a year and a half, I would have just started laughing at you. You would have said that's not right. Yeah. We we had a patient or uh, not that long ago, I'm going to say probably, but she's, she's probably at least 18 or plus months out from her hemangiosarcoma and kudos to her mother because, you know, she had the split, they did have the splenectomy um, and it was confirmed hemangiosarcoma, but she did a tremendous amount of research on um, nutrition and how, uh, how to change her dog's nutrition. Um, and she did all of that plus acupuncture plus rehab. And that dog last I, last I heard, I haven't seen her in a while was 18, you know, months uh, post um, treatment. And when I saw her, the last time I saw her and she was sitting in the car, she's a black lab. So you know how black labs are. She's like, Hey, Cassie, <laughs> the dog. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, all, like she had no idea she was sick and I don't think we should bring it to her attention. But, but um, again, you know, if I treated a dog in the, you know, late eighties or early nineties that had a splenectomy from a hemangiosarcoma. Again, if they had lived, you know, three months or maybe six months, I would have said, okay, you know, that's what we could have hoped for. But now it's with all, it's just so much. I think these dogs are living well with cancer or post, you know, treatment, (laughs) post-surgery. So it's a good feeling. I agree. I think that, I think the trick is, and and you so noted is they're living well. That's the most important part. Right. And I pose because uh, I, Kathy knows I'm infamous for my love of trivia and statistics and things like statistics. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, some of the things that, that I was researching, you know, I want to flip that conversation in that, you know, our pets are getting better care from the get go in terms right. of nutrition, exercise, 
regular vet exams, and so on and so forth. So they are living longer and thus experiencing cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, statistically, 50% of dogs over 10 years old will get some form of cancer. I thought that was frightening, mm-hmm. you know, to, to yeah. learn. And uh, I also learned that one in four dogs at some point in their lives will, will get cancer, but it becomes one in two when they're over 10. So because they're living longer with uh, such good care, you know, that that makes the uh, cancer diagnosis more, more probable. And then on the cat side, it was one in three. One in three. So, uh, this this is something else. Okay, you guys ready? Yeah. I'll, I'll pose it to you. You each get to guess. Okay. That's so, okay. how many dogs will be diagnosed with cancer this year, Kathy? Oh my gosh, I have no idea. <laughs> Let's throw something out there. How many pets are there in the United States? Well, see, I've already <laughs> given you those those other clues. So. <laughs> You want uh, me to tell you? No, yes, please do tell. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna guess. I'm gonna guess five hundred thousand. Well, that is way under the actual number. Oof. Is six million? Oh wow, my god! I, I did not go to Vegas. Yeah. I would not have guessed that. I I was closer to Dr. Erica's number. I was thinking yeah. five hundred, maybe six hundred thousand animals. That's that's yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's scary. Dogs, and then also six million cats. And yeah. they were saying that that this is a pretty low estimate because, again, mm-hmm. like you pointed out, Dr. Erica, some people aren't choosing to get that that diagnosis. It doesn't matter. They're just mm-hmm. focusing on their pet's quality of life, um, you know, and and what they can do, and they know they're not going to, you know, do anything drastically different if they succumb their animal to all these diagnostic tests. So that those numbers are actually somewhat conservative. Um, six million dogs, six million cats. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Right. <laughs> and of course there are, you know, breed dispositions and, and mm-hmm. things like that um, as well. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to, to throw that in there. Yeah, that's a lot. You know, I, I've had four uh, pugs, you know, in my lifetime. And one of my, my second pug had uh, cutaneal hemangiosarcoma. And while we were treating this cutaneal hemangiosarcoma, he, he was also diagnosed with um, uh, transitional cell carcinoma and getting that diagnosis is so, it's just so devastating to an owner. And, um, you know, you just, you hear it and it rings in your head and you don't really know what it means. But I think that now, um, so much later in my life with these other dogs, I feel like some of the scariness has been taken out of the word cancer um, because of what we can do, because of the things that we have available to our animals and to our pets, as far as Eastern medicine, Western medicine, nutrition, acupuncture, it doesn't seem um, quite as scary to hear it now. Um, so I, I hope that that number goes, I hope 6 million goes way down, Chris. But, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think we can look at it with more optimism now than, than we may have, you know, 20 years ago. Well, again, yeah, you have the treatments, but also this is because our pets are living longer in the first place. So because we're taking good care of them. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So there's, there's a reason why, you know, that, uh, that dogs actually have the highest cancer rate of any mammal on the planet planet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. I wonder if there's wow. any animal out there that doesn't get cancer. I don't, that's probably a topic for another day, but oh, is there somebody? There was, we learned about this. It was, that... I think elephants don't get cancer. Wow. Huh. We that's learned about good. that. And um, I took an integrative veterinary oncology course through the Chi University. And I believe elephants don't get cancer. That is amazing. Well, good. I'm glad they don't. I love elephants. Yeah. <laughs> they don't get cancer. I love elephants so, too. I love elephants. So I think, Dr. Erica, at some point in your career, you you said, you know, you wanted to investigate, you know, some of these um, alternative uh, treatments and embrace Eastern medicine. So since you've done that, you know, we've touched on it a little bit, but can you speak a little bit more concretely about, you know, what you've seen um, in terms of outcomes, um, you know, comfort level, longevity, can you say with confidence that, that you've uh, seen a change since you've incorporated this into your practice? Do you mean with cancer treatments or just in general? Well, I guess I'm specifically thinking about cancer treatments. Okay. So I will speak to pets that I've seen that are um, diagnosed with cancer or is are under the assumption that they have cancer. Right. I believe pets that have that fall into those categories have better appetites, uh, have less pain, and have better quality of lives when they're treated um, integratively with either acupuncture or herbs or um, you know some of them. I know there's some people who are, are trying to find out more about vitamin C infusions and vitamin D. And I don't know, I personally don't know a lot about mushrooms and mistletoe therapy, but those are all on the forefront of things that people can do um, to help their pets with cancer. And just from the pets I've treated, I can tell you that they do better than those that don't. Yep. Um, yeah. I, I can yeah. see that wholeheartedly. Yeah. And, and it I like, like, I was just gonna say, it seems like herbs and acupuncture often go hand in hand. You know, you mentioned that yeah. you, you tend to use those in concert together for these, uh, these animals living with cancer. Yeah, it depends. You know, I started getting my herbal certification through, it was through uh, the College of Integrative Veterinary Technology, CIVT with Dr. Steve Marston. And um, then I got pregnant with my second child and that pregnancy was not easy. So um, that certification has been paused for a while. Hopefully I'll get it done sooner than later because I, I think a lot of people don't realize how vast herbs are. There are so many herbs and so many different things you can do with them, but you really need to know what you're doing or you can hurt someone. So I don't use lots of herbs. I use ones I'm comfortable with that I've been using for a while, but um, people who know and use herbs will well, um, true people who are certified in it are, are just really gifted, um, at, mm-hmm. at helping pets and people feel better about things quicker. And I think that's an important statement too, is that we really need to go to someone who knows what they're doing. Um, so you don't just want to go to, you know, your local drugstore and pick up herbs or, or, or vitamins or without checking with your veterinarian first, you always, you have to incorporate your veterinarian. And then your veterinarian can, in, in, can also be 
integrated into integrated see how i got the integrative in there again into the the plan <laughs> with see how i got that in there integrated into the plan um so it can be a collaboration between the veterinarian who does the herbs and the acupuncture and the oncologist or the general practitioner so maybe you could talk a little bit about how you do your how you collaborate with oncologists and and primary care veterinarians Yeah. So what I do is I try to get the record before I meet my new patient. Um, If I'm at the clinic, I have wonderful receptionists that help do that for me. uh, And I appreciate them. And, you know, I I try to send the reports of what I do back to the oncologists um, or the general practitioners and see if they have any questions for me. A lot of times I see the patients much more than the the person who referred Mm -hmm. just because I'm usually seeing them weekly. So sometimes I don't send weekly reports because it's a lot. You know, if if I see someone every week and and you ask me to send you 20 reports, I'm happy to do it. But maybe if I just write you a summary, it'll be faster. So um, I, I, I feel like a lot of times, as long as you have good relationships with the people who live around you, it goes really easy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually think too that this. Uh, I love Chris will Chris will also tell you we love collaborating. We love it. We love to talk. To, <laughs> we like to talk to the general practitioners. We like to talk to the oncologist. We like to talk to the acupuncturist. And um, sometimes somebody sees something a little bit differently than you do, and sometimes that that leads to a better you know a better treatment and better outcomes for pets. Um, which kind of leads me to my next question, because um, when I was reading your website. I um I saw the first thing I saw there was the words or the the statement compassionate complementary care right and I I think I already know what the answer is going to be to this but um what does that mean to you what does compassionate complementary care mean to you That's a great question so for me that means treating the patient as a whole in a caring way with everything else that's going on. So to me, acupuncture as a standalone, it can do a lot of great things and be great. I'm not knocking that. However, Mm -hmm. I think making sure that all of the pet's needs are being met and working with those other parts of that pet's team, whether it is the dog walker or it is the, you know, the general practitioner, or if it's the oncologist, or if it's, you know, (laughs) all those things. Um, I I think it's important to work together and put, you know, you have to be either cat centric or dog centric based on which species you're seeing at the moment Mm -hmm. and put that pet's needs first. So for example, like if I walk into someone's home and the dog has, you know, some type of abdominal non-surgical cancer, say it's like a, some type of hemangiosarc that's meted or something and they, they're not going to cut it out. Um, and they're walking and they're very hunched and, you know, they're older and they have arthritis in their hips and 
everything is wood or tile floors. You know, we need to put things down to make them not slip or they could use toe grips or you could get lots and lots and lots of yoga mats. Um, Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure that the bowl's right. You know, just you need to go through and just also say, okay, and then maybe we can take these herbs like Unambayao so it stops bleeding and we can acupuncture your hips so they don't hurt or laser your hips. And, And, you know, just try to look at all of the parts of that pet and try to make sure you're putting that pet's needs first and making mm-hmm. sure that you're being, you know, you're, you're making sure that the goals that you think the pet thinks are most important are what you're going towards. So we're, we're also sort of not only evaluating them on a, on a level of uh, you know, physical, but we're also evaluating them, um, their emotional lives as well. well the things yes. that bring them joy and the things that are important to them. Yeah. So yes, Dr. Erica, exactly. I think I also know the answer to this, but is your approach from an integrative, holistic point of view different if you're treating a patient that is thought to be terminal and you're focusing more on palliative care or a pet that, you know, to be contrasted with the pet that is expected to fully recover? Maybe they had a a mass that uh, was removed, isolated, got clean margins, you know, they're a young, healthy dog, not expected to come back. Uh, rate of metastasis isn't, isn't high. Do you, uh, do you have a different approach or, you know, how does, how do you decide what you're doing it based on those two ends of the spectrum? Well, that's, that's kind of a tricky question, um, but it's a good one. So we said no stumpers, Chris, we said no stumpers. It's okay. It's okay. I had, I had a smoothie before this started. So, we're, okay, good. We're good. Um, so, you know, that's a great question because I, I feel like regardless of what's going on with their diagnosis, I try to just first hone in on what the pet needs. And then second is what the owner needs. You know, I think I feel this way about rehabilitation as well. Like, you know, a dog can, can have a, a, well, I saw a dog today with, with hip dysplasia. And, you know, that can be horrible and debilitating, or you may never know that the dog has hip dysplasia when you meet them, right? So it's the same diagnosis, but it can present so differently. So I rely on my examination, my evaluation, and to your point, you know, what is the owner capable of doing? Uh, What's important for that pet um, in terms of their quality of life? You know, what do they enjoy? And that's, that's kind of what, you know, what I focus on. Would you say that that that's similar for you or? Yeah, I, I think what I'm trying to say is that when you meet a new patient and a new client, it doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. You just have to focus on the patient and the client and figure out what the needs are. And then after you figure out what everybody needs, then you can go forward with what you're seeing on your exam and your diagnosis. So it doesn't matter if they're terminal. It doesn't matter if they're going to, you know, go out and run and and get a rabbit in the cemetery when they're running because you just want to treat the pet and meet that pet's needs to the best of your ability. And, you know, if they are terminal, then that changes some of your conversations because just, you know, when you go to somebody's house every week and you sit on their floor with their dog, 
you have a lot of conversations and some of those conversations have to be quality of life conversations because by definition, doing, you know, integrative therapies and doing acupuncture, you do get a lot of hospice patients. Mm -hmm. And even though things are changing and we aren't just seeing all of the Hail Marys anymore where they tried every other modality under the sun and, you know, nobody can help this pet. So here, just try to throw some needles in it and see what you can do. You know, I don't see as many of those anymore Mm -hmm. um, because more people know about acupuncture, more veterinarians are are willing to talk about it and have seen successes. So are more open to recommending it. However, you know, you have to have some of those conversations and in most of my patients, I help the owners figure out, okay, you know, what are the top five things that make this patient this patient and, and when is it appropriate for us to consider saying goodbye and, and should we use a quality of life scale daily? And, you know, what are our goals for this week? And if, if we're not meeting these goals, does that mean, you know, Macy's not having a good quality of life? Is, is this something else to consider? When I purchased my mobile practice, it was a full practice. It wasn't just acupuncture when I purchased AccuVet five years ago. And I decided to take it back. Originally, when Dr. Alterman started it, it was just acupuncture. And then when Dr. Borst purchased it from him, she made it acupuncture, laser, home hospice care. um, And just, she did a lot more things. She did blood work. She did, you know, a lot of things at home. And then when I purchased it, I just took it back to acupuncture and laser. And, um, but because I knew that I didn't want to do home euthanasia, I, I truly appreciate people who do that. But I know for me, I, I form really strong bonds, especially with my um, acupuncture patients. And I knew it would be too hard on me emotionally to do that. So I, I have a lot of these conversations with the owner and, and help because I feel like we're part of a team. You know, when I come to your home and I'm there to treat Fred, I have a couple of Freds. I also have a Barney. <laughs> um, and one of it's the Freds is a girl pennies. cat. One of the Freds is a girl cat and the Barney is a girl cat. They're owned by different families. And I love it when they're back to back on my schedule. It's awesome. <laughs> but you know, when, when I, when I come to see Fred, I'm not, I'm not necessarily the doctor. I'm just part of Fred's team and I'm there to help give Fred the best life that she can have. And I'm there to, you know, make sure if she's limping that we're focused on the limp. And if, if we need to consider, you know, different modalities, you know, I'm there to help talk you through it. I'm, I'm team Fred, you know? And then when I leave and I go to Barney's house, I'm team Barney. I'm not, I'm not just the doctor. I'm there to be the cheering squad too. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm also there to be, the coach. And if something's not going well, I'll help figure out what we should do. That's the way I see my, my role. Nice. Yeah. I think people appreciate that too. Um, It's such a, uh, the relationship, um, you know, we we bond that Chris and I uh, form with our, with our rehab patients is really intimate. I mean, we are seeing them um, sometimes a couple of times a week and we're helping owners through big decisions um, sometimes we're helping them, you know, most of the time we're helping them through the recovery of their pet, but sometimes we're helping them to the end stage of their pet's life. Um, and those, those relationships can be very, they can be intense and they can be very, uh, intimate. Yeah. And you can, get, but they're so uh, worth it. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. it is. It absolutely I, is. And I was going to say, you know, your, your passion and your um, empathy just rings through when you're it really does. Erica. Yeah. So, oh, you well, know. thank you. About how yeah, much you love Fred and out. Barney. And yeah. <laughs> I want to meet Fred and Barney now. <laughs> oh, Barney is this, Barney is this, um, this tortie who's hyperthyroid and she has um, chronic renal disease and she's named Barney because she was found in a barn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, gotcha. And Fred is owned by this very, um, this really fun uh, woman who, a, she just always wanted a cat named Fred. And she loved this beautiful cat who was also, I believe, a barn cat. And this cat is just simply gorgeous. And she is just, she's so soft. Um, and she just named her Fred and she didn't know she was a boy or she was a girl, I think at first. And, and I just call her Freddy girl. <laughs> Okay, Freddie doesn't care. <laughs> no, doesn't Fred, care. she's awesome. And like, if you saw her walking down the hall, you'd be like, wow, she could be on a cover of a beautiful cat calendar. Wow. Like, she's wow. just this gorgeous cat. She her should get her own Fred. calendar. <laughs> I, I, she should have her own YouTube channel. I would just tune in to watch, you know. <laughs> watch that. Um, so, you know, I, I'm Carol, uh, Chris and I were talking about this before we got together to interview you about... Um, about our thoughts about uh, rehabilitation with patients with cancer. And I wish I could have found something, an article or a paper, something to say, you know, are these, you know, would we refer these patients with um, cancer to physical therapy? Because Chris and I always feel like, well, there's something we can do to make these dogs feel better. I wish I could have come up with something that says, oh yes, it definitely stimulates their immune system. You see changes in, you know, whatever, blood gases, blood work, but I couldn't. But I'm interested to see what your thoughts are about, do we refer these patients with cancer to rehabilitation? Do you have any thoughts about whether, you know, uh, that could make a a good marriage, you know, with oncology patients? Well, I think the first thing is it depends on the type of cancer, right? Um, Right. Like if you have a pretty bad osteosarcoma in a front leg and the dog's having a hard time walking, there might be a lot of things that you can do with PT, but I think it has to be someone who's very, very skilled um, because mm-hmm. I'm just scared of that leg breaking. Right. Um, right. And I, you know, that dog I was talking about earlier, Macy, she went for PT at one point and she became worse. And, you know, mm-hmm. there were a lot of things going on at that time. So I don't think it was just the PT. I think, I think also her liver values were starting to climb. So I think it was a few things that were happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know of any papers that say pro or con. I think I it depends any. on the type of cancer. I think it depends on the type of therapist, the rehab, the rehabilitation therapist. And I also think it depends on the client, you know, are you just going to drop the dog off and have it walk in the underwater treadmill and, you know, or are you going to be doing these exercises at home? Or it, I, I think it all just depends. And, and I'm sorry to not have a concrete mm, answer, a but answer. I, I think there's definite times where it, it's, it's warranted because you want to treat the pet as a whole. But I think right. there's also times where you have to be a little careful. Cautious. Yeah. It, I am going to be patient. Cautious. Right. And, and I think, you know, Kathy and I uh, wholeheartedly, you know, she spoke to uh, the need for, you know, the veterinarian, you know, certainly inviting us into the 
team of, you know, experts and, and people that are, are working with this pet. And, you know, so, so that's the first step, I guess, in that. And then also, I think Kathy and I very strongly feel that the rehabilitationists be certified um, mm. because there are a lot of folks out there that claim to do rehab, but they are not certified at one of the two um, certification programs here in the U.S. And, um, you know, and that and that's important, too. So, you know, we hear you, Dr. Erica, and, and you know, we agree that, uh, you know, that that this is a very serious, you know, issue and, you know, that, that all the, the proper steps and the, and the amount of education experience, uh, you know, really make a difference. So. Oh, it really does. And if you, if you know, the wonderful thing about the collaboration for Chris and I is that we've come from two different places. Um, as I'm a, a, an old school veterinary technician who's certified as a canine rehabilitation practitioner. And Chris comes from the human side who, who is a human physical therapist and also a, a canine rehabilitation practitioner. And sometimes it's just that collaboration of, uh, you know, what maybe what I see as far as medicine and what Chris sees as with her eyes as function. Um, so it, it's, it's a nice collaboration, but it wouldn't be possible unless we're not <laughs> invited in by the veterinarians. Um, and I agree, you're absolutely right. There are some conditions, like I would see, I see a fair amount of patients post-operative, like post-op amputation from osteosarcoma. So you're right, like pre-op osteosarcoma, very scary. You gotta be really careful, but post-op, you know, there was a lot of things I can do. Um, and then I think there are some compensatory things that happen for some of these dogs. Like you said, you know, these dogs that maybe are hunched up because they have abdominal pain, maybe some massage, maybe some gentle stretching, but it's case dependent. So you have to, there's no cookbook. It's case dependent. Right. That's right. my feel. <laughs> and I think just keeping them um, in as good a condition, um, you know, maintaining yeah. their stamina and things, you know, again, you mentioned me being a, a physical therapist for people. I mean, you know, we would, you know, go either home health or, you know, on, on a hospice floor in a hospital or what have you. And, you know, it's really important for, you know, the people to get up and walk and, you know, do the kinds of things that, that they can do to maintain and, and possibly increase strength. And I think that uh, carries through to, to our pets as well. Yeah. Look how much things have changed in our time, Chris, but just like CC, like post-op CCL, you know, in the oh, yeah. old school, you know, we used to create them for six weeks and now we're like, no, we need to start some range of motion and some laser and some, you know, acupuncture and maybe, you know, some gentle exercises. Uh, so well, things have changed quite a bit. And I was really heartened to hear throughout this, uh, re this recording that, um, you know, Dr. Erica spoke many times about things that we often are tasked with addressing. So such as the kind of flooring, how many steps, um, you know, their bowls, you know, she mentioned, you know, yeah. what kind of bowls are they elevated? Where are they? You know, the litter box, you know, those are the kinds of things that I think oftentimes fall to, to us. Um, and mm. um, so I think it's great that, you know, as a, mobile practice it, that you have uh, addressed those things within the home as well. So, you know, those simple, rather simple lifestyle changes can make just a huge impact Such in, a difference. in the pet's quality of life. So, well, and I think the other thing, touching back on the flooring and the traction and, and that kind of things, I'm sure every single one of the veterinarians who saw some of these pets that I saw that are limping or whatnot have mentioned all the things I mentioned, but because I walk in and I see that maybe they put out one yoga mat 
and it doesn't, you know, it, it just is by the food bowl, but the dog still has to walk from their bed to the food bowl. And the yoga mat is like an eighth of the room, you know, like they, yeah. they don't realize the scope sometimes because there's not someone standing there saying like, Hey, do you see all this area that I'm standing in? This is where your dog slips. Why don't we change that? So I I'm sure they've all mentioned all these things. I think just like in every team dynamic, people have to hear things in different ways, multiple times. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just going to, cause we were talking about traction. I think I'm just going to take a second to plug, um, our, our um, interview with Dr. Julie Busby, because we, we talk a lot about traction. Chris and I are, are like obsessed with traction <laughs> and, and getting good footing. And um, we had a great interview with our friend, Dr. Julie Busby. So people, if they haven't listened to that one, you really should listen to Dr. Busby talk about her toe grips for yep. traction. Toe grips and I'm good product. friends with Dr. Busby and she's the nicest person ever. I think Dr. Busby is actually the nicest person ever. I would agree with that. I would agree. And most of my clients are told to purchase toe grips. So, you know, thank you for helping create them, Dr. Busby. So are there any parting words that uh, you would like to leave us with, Dr. Erica? Um. The one thing that I, I heard you say about finding someone who's certified for rehab, I would just say the same thing about finding someone who is certified in acupuncture. I think it's very important that if you're going to have your pet treated, it's by someone either receiving their certification who's under someone else's umbrella or that it's someone who's certified. And in the U.S., there's three schools. You can either go to IVES, the Chi University, or I'm sorry, I don't remember the one of the one, I believe it's in Wisconsin. Is that right? Oh no, it's Colorado. It's Colorado. I don't remember that one's name. That's a medical acupuncture school. It's not traditional Chinese. So I lean more towards the first two I mentioned, but I, I do think it's important to find someone who's certified because, you know, lots of people can stick needles and things, but they if they don't know what they're doing, you might not get a good result. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Erica, can you tell people, our listeners, where, where can they find you? Yeah. So you can go to my website. If you're interested in my practice, it's acuvetforpets.com. That's A-C-U-V-E-T-F-O-R-P-E-T-S.com. If you're interested in seeing me here at Nova Cat Clinic, or if you're in Northern Virginia and you have a cat and you're not one of our patients, you're missing out. And that's <laughs> novacatclinic.com. Yes. We we'll put that in our show are, notes. I, I love this place. Um, it's, it's, I can't say enough good things about it. I mean, that's part of why I'm recording this in the clinic because I feel like it's my home away from home. And then I also wrote a book that was published in the spring. So if anyone's interested in that, you can pick it off off Amazon. And it's called um, Needles in the Haystack, An Unexpected Cure. And it's just kind of, you know, my road to becoming a veterinarian and becoming a veterinary acupuncturist and some of my favorite pets along the way. I love yes. the title. Thanks. I love the my title. husband I, did that. I yeah. love the He's title. like that. 
Yeah, very, very creative. And uh, yes, I'm happy you mentioned your book because I was going to uh, mention that as well. And um, I, I haven't had a chance to read it since I just learned of it. But, um, you know, I, I did look it up on Amazon and uh, it sounds like a great read. So thank you yeah. for doing that. And uh, again, we'll put uh, the AccuVetForPets.com, NovaCat.com. And the website for Needles in a Haystack and Unexpected Cure as links on our show notes for this podcast episode. Thanks. And if anyone wants to follow me on social media, um, my practices, you could either go to NovaCat on social media, or um, if you're interested in acupuncture cases, you can go to Acupuncture for Pets. Um, and then my personal one is Dr. Erica underscore Vet. So there's a lot of things to look at if you're Wonderful. interested. Yeah. I'm going to go follow you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'll say hello. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Erica. It was so fantastic to have you. You you speak so passionately about your patients. Um, and I can tell that you that you love each and every one of them just by the way that you talk about them. So thank you for being here. It's greatly appreciated. It was nice to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed spending this time with you both. Thank you, Dr. Erica. Be well. Thank you. you Bye. Too. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Facebook or on Instagram at Petability Podcast. For more information about Kathy's books and living with blind dogs, please go to enableyourpet.com. Thank you and please tune in next time.